Thanks for tuning in to the Archive, brought to you by the Mail Tribune. I'm Alyssa Corman, and I'll be sharing the news with you from 100 years ago in the splendid city of Medford in Jackson County at large in 1918. I've got a whole heap of stories to tell you about today. Motorcycle cop McDonald puts his foot down on speeding autoists. A bunch of booze was caught up in Ashland and Perhaps most importantly, I've received a proclamation from President Wilson, which I have been compelled to share with all of you. With all this and more to talk about, I suppose we best get to it. With the 4th of July right around the corner, a new rule is in the works in an attempt to protect our fair city from fire. No shooting of firecrackers or display of fireworks will be permitted in Medford on July 4th, is the edict of Mayor Gates, who is now preparing a proclamation to that effect, in accordance with the request of State Fire Marshal Wells. An exciting bit of news has come to us from Salem, Oregon, on June 21st, 1918, as a woman acts as bailiff in the Oregon Supreme Court. For the first time in the history of the Oregon Supreme Court, that tribunal was opened today by a woman when the court convened to hear arguments on the Portland Six Cent Car Fare case. Mrs. Walter Spaulding, wife of Lieutenant Spaulding, now in France, called the court to order. The usual bailiff, P.H. Raymond, was out due to illness. The biggest haul of booze made in Ashland for a long time was taken from one of the northbound passenger trains yesterday evening by a special agent of the SP Company, who had shadowed the stuff from San Francisco to the state line. The booze was stored in the roof of a passenger coach. There were 148 pint bottles and 24 quart bottles enough to fill several apple boxes that were commandeered to carry the stuff to Portland, where it will be turned over to the state authorities for destruction. No arrests were made here, according to the Ashland record. And speaking of all that fire water, perhaps the man in this next story got himself a sip or two. Frank White, who had been working on a ranch near Montague, and who had arrived in the city in an intoxicated condition last night and was arrested by policeman Timothy, was fined $12.35 by police Judge Taylor today. Inasmuch as he was without funds, Judge Taylor suspended the sentence on the condition that he go to work at once. In an hour's time, White had obtained a job at a ranch. Last week, I told you that Judge Taylor was cracking down on speeders. This week, it looks like the judge wasn't bluffing, as many autoists had to pay fines for speeding on the Pacific Highway. While motorcycle cop McDonald was taking after another suspected auto speeder on North Riverside Avenue this noon, he was somewhat astounded to see a car whiz right by him at a speed of 42 miles an hour. He at once dropped the suspect and took after the real thing in speeding and caught up with the car near the Pacific and Eastern Railroad crossing and placed its driver, R.J. Brown of Grants Pass, under arrest and took him before Judge Taylor where he was fined $13.60. 
Mr. Brown then continued his journey home, a sadder and slower man. Judge Taylor announced last Saturday that he would double the fine on all speeders coming before him thereafter, and Monday he made his announcement good by fining R.K. Rieger and J.C. Gilbert of Metford $13.60 each. No other arrest for speeding was made since, due to motorcycle cop McDonald's speedometer being in the repair shop until this noon, when Mr. Brown carelessly speeded under the nose of the law. McDonald got his speedometer back yesterday forenoon, and then proceeded over to the Ashland end of the county, seeking speeders to devour. By night, he had captured two whom he hauled before the Ashland justice. One of them was Benton Powers, the well-known citizen of Ashland, who paid a fine of $10 and costs for speeding his car 33 miles an hour on the neighboring city's main street. He was caught up with in front of the high school building. McDonald's other victim was H.S. Waterfield of Klamath Falls, who paid a fine of $10 in costs for speeding at 36 miles an hour on the Pacific Highway. Tonight, McDonald starts making arrests of all violators of the auto light law, especially on the Pacific Highway. The people of Medford again prove to be a generous lot, as the library ships out scads of books to soldiers. The library has just made a shipment of four boxes of books for the soldiers, a total of 806 volumes. These have been held here because the response everywhere was so generous that great numbers were accumulated in the large centers, and it took time to handle them properly. Another box is partly filled, and it is suggested that those who have delayed bringing in their books do so now. Although the particular drive is over, the library is anxious to receive books for soldiers at all times and plans to collect and ship them during the summer and indefinitely. It is not necessary to wait to make a collection. Any single book or two will be acceptable. The special demand is still for books of fiction. Now, this next story I've got for you doesn't take place here in the Rogue River Valley, but in neighboring Shasta County, and I thought it a curious bit of news that just needed to be shared. Marion Francis McPhee, the longest whiskered man in Shasta County, died in Balls Ferry the morning of June 21, 1918, in the home of his stepson, George E. Brown. His beard was six feet, nine inches long, and he said that he had never shaved a day in his life of 82 years. He kept his beard pinned under his chin and unfolded it for public gaze only on public occasions. It was as fine as silk and was kept scrupulously clean, his morning task always being to comb out and braid his beard after his ablutions. McGee was an old soldier of the Civil War. He was a resident of Shasta County for 40 years, his home being most of the time in Manton, where the funeral was held this morning. Everyone is asked to do what they can to win the war, and mothers are no exception. A brilliantly simple solution has been brought forward to make work a possibility for all mothers, 
as they are asked to help win the war by doing Red Cross work. Just so sure as our children live to grow up, they will someday face us with the eager question, And what did you do to help in war times? Surely there must be many mothers in Medford who long to help but cannot because of the care of little ones. Why not conserve our time in this crisis of the world? Why not throw ourselves into Red Cross work just now when fresh members are so badly needed? No cooler, pleasanter place could be found for the children than our city park. They will be well cared for by mothers who cannot leave their own children. Several young girls have also offered their services. There will be no lack of proper oversight and the youngsters will enjoy the change. Bring the children to the park next Friday anytime before 9 a.m. to 4 p.m., including the lunch hour. If it rains, there will be indoor games and stories. And now, an important message to every American from our tireless leader, President Wilson. White House, Washington, D.C., May 29, 1918. This war is one of nations, not of armies, and all of our 100 million people must be economically and industrially adjusted to war conditions if this nation is to play its full part in the conflict. The problem before us, not primarily a financial problem, but rather a problem of increased productions of war essentials and the saving of the materials and the labor necessary for the support and equipment of our army and navy. Thoughtless expenditure of money for non-essentials uses up the labor of men, the products of the farm, mines, and factories, and overburdens transportation, all of which must be used to the utmost and at their best for war purposes. The great results which we seek can be obtained by the participation of every member of the nation, young and old, in a nation, a national concerted thrift movement. Therefore, it is urgent that our people everywhere pledge themselves, as suggested by the Secretary of the Treasury, to the practice of thrift, to serve the government to their utmost in increasing the production in all fields necessary to the winning of the war, to conserve food and fuel and useful materials of every kind, to devote their labor only to the most necessary tasks, and to buy only those things which are essential to individual health and efficiency, and that the people, as evidence of their loyalty, invest all that they can save in liberty bonds and war savings stamps. So many of the securities issued by the Treasury Department are within the reach of everyone that the door of opportunity in this matter is wide open to all of us. To practice thrift in peace times is a virtue and brings great benefit to the individual at all times. With the desperate need of the civilized work today for materials and labor with which to end the war, the practice of individual thrift is a patriotic duty and a necessity. I appeal to all who now own either liberty bonds or war savings stamps to continue to practice economy and thrift, and appeal to all who do not own government securities to do likewise and purchase them to the extent of their means. The man who buys government securities transfers the purchasing power of his money to the United States government until after this war, and to that same degree does not buy in competition with the government. I earnestly appeal to every man, woman, and child to pledge themselves on or before the 28th of June to save constantly and to buy as regularly as possible the securities of the government. The 28th of June ends this special period of enlistment in the great volunteer army of production and saving here at home. May there be none unenlisted on that day.
President Woodrow Wilson. Say, after hearing that rousing speech from our president, don't you just want to run out and purchase as many war-saving stamps as you possibly can? Well, hop to it, folks, and join at once the new Limit Club. Hurry up, folks, and get in the new organization, the War Saving Stamps Limit Club. The only qualifications for membership are a patriotic feeling and strong desire to help with the war and your ability to purchase the limit allowed any one person to have in war saving stamps, $1,000 worth. Fred Strip is the chairman of the Limit Club campaign, having been appointed to that position by Dr. Hart, the county war saving stamps campaign manager. The Limit Club has just got started and already has a nice nucleus of membership, including all the banks of Metford. The chief purpose of the organization of the club is to help make a success of the War Saving Stamps campaign and to aid in ensuring the sale of the Jackson County quota of $258,000 in war stamps. While we're all thinking of thrift, there are a couple here in Medford who surely need to be recognized for their commendable thrift. Mr. and Mrs. John A. Westerland are proud of the record they made by the Holland Cafe, for during the past six weeks, not one ounce of white flour has been used in preparing meals for the many patrons of the cafe. And during that time, not one complaint was made by the patrons over the use of substitutes. I'm sorry to say it, but while most of us are hard at the work of winning this war, there are some slackers who think they can pull a fast one and take advantage of the times. One gent in particular has been going around as a bogus officer and defrauding the Red Cross. For shame! The authorities of the city and county have received notice from Sheriff W.B. Walker of Weiser, Idaho, to look out for a young man who is swindling Red Cross chapters and young girls out of money on the pretense that he is an officer of the army and temporarily in need of financial assistance. At Weiser, he went under the name of James J. Murphy and claimed to be on furlough from the 36 engineers stationed at Fort Douglas, Utah. The sheriff's circular in part reads as follows. Murphy is an imposter and not a member of the U.S. Army. He wore a khaki government uniform, is about 23 years old, height about 5 feet 6 inches, weight about 150 pounds, brown hair and eyes, rather long face and very prominent chin, body long and legs short, has plenty of money, but his game is to go to the head of the local Red Cross and ask for aid. He is also soliciting help from young girls, giving as a reason that he is broke and must get back to duty. This man may change his name, but will try to work his game as he travels. Was last seen at Napa, Idaho. Arrest and wire Sheriff Walker at Weiser, Idaho, if he comes to your city. Early this evening, the city firemen, aided by a number of members of the Home Guard Company, will burn the grass on the baseball grounds. 
The grass will be removed not only because of its being a fire menace, but also to make better drill ground for the state militia company. As summer really gets going into full swing, swimming in the Rogue River is now the popular sport, and scores of people are enjoying it. On Friday, about 85 took advantage of the municipal bathhouse privileges, and the total number of swimmers was more than 100. Saturday, the number was increased. The water this year is very clear and not as deep as last season. Saturday, it had a temperature of 72 degrees. It was quite refreshing. Finally, I must warn you. Look out for your souls ere it be too late. It now behooves Medford folks to look after the welfare of their souls real quick while there is yet hope and leather. Otherwise, they may have to go soulless or buy new shoes. Really, it now looks as if the soulless day is the next in order of war economies. Medford shoe stores and shoe repair shops have been notified by the leather jobbing houses that no orders can be filled in the future for heavy sole leather, as the government has taken all the sole leather in the country over for shoes for the armies of this country and her allies. All leather stock of the 10 and 11 pound blocks has been held up by the government's order. Eight pound blocks, which means one dozen pieces, eight and a half by 12 inches weighing eight pounds, can be had but this light leather is suitable only for soling lady shoes and is not overly good for that purpose at that. A number of Medford concerns have had orders in for some time with the jobbing houses for the heavy grade of leather and are hoping that the orders will be filled as they are almost out of the heavy leather, but fear that the orders may not be filled after all. All right, folks, that's all I've got for you this week. Thanks for listening. Remember, these news stories have been brought to you by the Mail Tribune, a weekly series featuring news items that were drawn from the archives of the Mail Tribune from 100 years ago. You can find more stories like this in the MT100 column in the newspaper or online at mailtribune.com. We also have a whole host of other podcasts on a wide variety of topics, you should check them out. And be sure to follow us. We're on Facebook, Instagram, Pinterest, Twitter, and YouTube. If you like this podcast or have something you'd like to share with me, please let me know in the comments or on Facebook. I'd love to hear from you. Have a swell day and check back next week for more stories from the archive. <laughs>